Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine statewide campus system. This is our monthly MedEd Transformation Podcast. I am Dr. Deb Young, Director of Faculty Development. Today's discussion is going to highlight entrustable professional activities. Um, we have a changing curriculum and we really need to start bridging the UME and GME. Uh, but that's a huge undertaking. And until more recently, uh, there were not clear or spelled out expectations of what a graduating medical student should already be entrusted to do. And so I am joined today by Dr. John Pelly from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, who has dedicated some of his career and lifelong work to entrustment. So Dr. Pelly, thank you so much for being with, here with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, so let, let's talk about the concept of entrustment. Um, what, what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the concept of entrustment actually um, originated, if you want to look at um, its uh, publication to arouse uh, general awareness over at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands uh, by uh, Dr. Ali Tenkate. And <clears throat> he became uh, concerned about the actual activities themselves, uh, not how well they're done. This is a, a frequent um, mismatch in terms of the semantic um, competencies, uh, by contrast, are a measurement of how well a student performs. But there was something even more basic than that, and that is that the activity itself needs to be more precisely understood and defined. And so the entrustment label is applied to the activity. And, and it, what you are saying is that if a student is entrustable, you can have confidence in them, or literally you can trust them when you're not there. So that's the clue. This isn't can the student do it while you're watching and giving feedback and that sort of thing, uh, but when can you not be present and expect the activity itself to be done. Now, to, to be clear about this, we have a varied audience out there, and many of them probably even basic scientists that are just wondering in general about this, but uh, we're just talking about the things you would expect. Um, uh, taking a history and doing a physical is one of the activities. It's specified in a manual produced by the AAMC that conducted the study on our undergraduate education. Uh, and the, the group that came together and, and essentially composed the list of 13 um, entrustable professional activities uh, <clears throat> that uh, this group looked at each one of the um, uh, um, activities. Uh, for example, I was listening and observing yesterday uh, students uh, beginning to learn uh, with a, 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 a train, uh, the SPs, uh, um, standardized patients, that's what it is. I mean, I'm still getting used to the terminology, but we're, we're working with standardized patients and uh, conducting a history. Okay, now that there are certain aspects of that history that need to be done uh, for, and done a certain way to be credited as entrustable. I can leave you alone to conduct the history if you are entrustable. Okay, now, uh, so I think that um, there's a little more if I could extend the answer here, uh, because we, I'd like to make a connection with an example of what the students study first. When a medical student walks into med school, it's pretty uniform that they're gonna study anatomy first. Now there may be other subjects uh, depending on the, the overall structure, but, uh, and the first thing they're gonna be looking at in anatomy 
is going to be the nervous system. Uh, this is largely done because of the uh, sequence of dissection in the lab, but the, now to, to, to nail this down to show you about thinking, they look at the major divisions of the nervous system and uh, they separate out the central nervous system, which has the brain and <clears throat> the peripheral nervous system. But where we get relevant here is they look at the motor and the sensory nervous systems. Okay, now let's think about learning. Let's think about students learning and performing. The sensory nervous system provides their brain with input. Their brain is designed when they learn to integrate that input and be able to create motor function or motor output. So these are the technical terms that are used <clears throat> in anatomy. So what would be uh, sensory? Well, um, hearing uh, it during the, the um, uh, 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 the communication with the patient, and also um, the physical sensory by when you examine the patient, uh, either through hearing, auscultation, or just simply um, uh, palpating a lump in the neck or something like that. Okay, so sensory input to the student means something. Uh, maybe not right away, but that's part of their learning. But then they create, and this is the part that we have trouble with and we're gonna be getting into in this discussion, the output. Output is performance. Output is speech, what you say. That can make sense or it can be nonsense. Uh, usually it's not nonsense, it's, it's less sense or uh, miss sense. Um, and it could be the physical examination. That would be the doing the actual examination correctly. Now, these are specified by the AAMC, they, these uh, uh, specific kinds of things. So I wanna get across though, for the general audience, my concept working with students, and I can transfer this by the way, away from the clinic into basic science. So this does not simply apply to clinical um, activity. But thinking always precedes action. So that we don't see that as teachers. We do not, we, we, talk, we think about what we're communicating and then we assume some magical thing happens in the brain of these students and they process this a certain way and then they're able to do something. Um, in the basic sciences, of course, it's much more like taking a test, although small group discussion now is getting pl into play. But um, here is my basic rule of thumb. If a student is entrustable, you know how they think. In other words, I went through the AAMC manual because of my own interest in thinking and I read the descriptions for each of the activities and they're described for what we call, you might think of it as pass fail, but I call it pass and not yet instead of fail. It's sort of a mastery concept. I went through and read the description of the action, the behavior of the students who were pre-entrustable, this is not yet. They're trying, they're, they know what they're supposed to do. They've had the lecture on it. And now they're sitting with a standardized patient and they're really, they're trying to perform. Okay. <clears throat> and then there's a vignette. So the AAMC has done a remarkable job, not only in providing a description to all of us, but providing a vignette, demonstrating that. Okay, now, as I proceeded through all 13, I found a 100% match. This is not a small difference. This is a, a, a very profound match in the thinking. For a pre-entrustable student, every description is a robotic, memorized response. 
It's automated, and I call it a no-thinking response. So we're talking now about the original question, what is this concept of entrustability? If a student is trying to perform from what they came into med school from pre-med as a memorization orientation, this is not every student, by the way. Um, I don't mean to paint with too broad a brush, uh, but we, we will have students coming in for the most part that want to continue memorizing. That's what got them into med school. Now, I'm trying really here to help the basic science teachers see what they're dealing with. These are students who were bright enough to get in, but they may not be prepared well enough to finish. So this, and this has become my specialty, helping them finish. So getting back then to the descriptions, what's really exciting is when you go back through this manual, and by, this is available at my website as a download, so you can, uh, I want to work that in uh, after the podcast is over. If you, if you just click um, on the uh, uh, link uh, to my website, uh, that'll be available at, um, at Michigan State. Um, uh, but uh, this is all under the EPA thinking link. And so if you read through the manual, and look at those descriptions, here's what you find. Instead of robotic thinking, instead of automated thinking, you find anticipatory thinking. You find integrative thinking, an awareness of how things are connected. If there's a lump in the throat, there's an awareness that that can be any number of things. It can be an, a lymph node from infection. It can be a, a malignancy uh, and any number of other things. And, and you, many of you who have had an introduction to um, uh, symptoms uh, and a, um, uh, a, a examination of the patient realize there are multiple different ways you can interpret and that leads to the differential diagnosis. So I'm going to kind of end, I, I've given a long answer to the simple entree here about entrustability, but I want to end with the fact that there's a dramatic difference in the thinking of a pre-entrustable student and an entrustable student. And here is the underscore. It turns out that entrustable thinking always produces higher grades on tests. And that's in the first two years. Okay, I think, I, I would, yeah, I would, I'm going to turn it over back over to you. I, I, I've kind of gotten things off to a start. You, you did, John, thank you. That, that was a great introduction to, to entrustment. And in just listening to what you were saying, it's based on their their skill like what skill do they have to right. be trusted not not necessarily competency but where's their skill level and i and i and i i very much simplified this in my head because my my young children just went back to school and i was like oh well you know do i trust my first grader to read independently well not yet they still right. need to read yeah. out loud to me until <laughs> right. I know that they can read yeah. independently and then they can go and read independently and I know that I very much simplified it <laughs> right um th that's uh actually one of uh, the most uh or more profound points to make uh I struggled when I was academic affairs dean for several years uh, I was a biochemist, uh, uh, yanked, kicking and screaming out of the lab to be, do this administrative job. And then suddenly my attention went to these poor students who had no idea what was happening, that they had always been successful. And everybody's heard this story, by the way, especially early in med school, that some students just have their total reality upended. And I didn't know what to do about this. I, encouragement isn't enough. You're, you're not helping them, as you said, Deb, you're not helping them develop a skill. It was only when I uh, got into, I followed the advice of, very skeptically, by the way, uh, advice of a friend to look into the Myers-Briggs type indicator that was beginning to be used in education more and more. 
and went off and learned about it and discovered, my goodness, there are two different ways to see everything. Now, I'm boiling it down here for simplicity. And I want to, I'm going to, before I finish this answer, I'm going to address the validity of the Myers-Briggs. But first, let me get to the point that it was when I learned what the students were doing, and it wasn't what they were doing wrong, it was what they were leaving out. I found out that the sensing types in Myers-Briggs, who were very much the memorizers, they wanted to see the answer the way it was in their notes on a test. And of course, anybody that sees our tests in medical school knows that you may cover a fourth to a third of the test that way, because we do teach vocabulary, but the rest of the test is figure it out, higher order. Okay, so these students are dismayed. They've never been challenged with how to learn this way. But when I showed them the other way, the integrative way, and I showed them with a concept map that they could do the same reading and link things together and see it visually, that that would build dendrites in the front of their brain that does the integrative thinking. And as an, I'm going to give another side note here. My TED talk goes into this um, in, in bodybuilding for the brain. Uh, it goes into this in a little more uh, uh, clarity and depth, but uh, I, I encourage them that this is a real thing that happens if they handle their study correctly. They can build the skill themselves. And now you can begin to see vestiges of self-directed learning coming in here because self-direction doesn't come from what we assign them or what they're currently studying in our curriculum. Self-direction comes from self-knowledge. I don't see integration very well, so I need to work on that, that kind of thing. So I help the sensing students who are usually the ones failing the test early, simply because of the way they study, not because they're less smart. I just tell them, this is gonna be powerful in your job. When you get out of med school, your sensing mode is gonna make you a great surgeon, a great primary care doc, it's what you do best, but right now it's not enough. It's pre and it's pre entrustable. If we want to switch to that terminology, they can learn to be entrustable. Okay, okay I'll stop so, with so, so John. So John, based on that, you know, if if you and I evaluate the same student, yeah, what you may say is entrustable, and what I may say is entrustable, are probably two different things. We're evaluating them in two different ways. And I think that's because of the historic nature of how medical education is now. It's very much, do you do it like I do? If so, then you get a higher score on the Likert scale. There's these, there's these variable frames of reference. I, I think actually um, that is another way of looking at this that needs to be clarified. This, this is not a matter of subjective judgment. This is a matter of specific judgment. Now, uh, you're, you're actually getting at a very valid and important thing. Every physician is going to measure uh, the students they're observing against their own performance. But what they're measuring there is competency. Now you're looking at the scale that leads from novice performance to expert performance, the Dreyfus scale. Uh, that that's also necessary and and uh, it, well I mean it's an obligation in, in the uh, to, in the residencies to to fulfill the six basic competencies, but we're talking about something that is the beginning point of getting to a competency. Um, uh, let, let me let me provide a, a quick example. I think examples tend to shine a, light, a, be, a better light on things rather than simple definitions. 
Um, one of the early uh, things in terms of uh, taking a history is that there is a well-defined sequence of, uh, that a student learns uh, in their first lectures on collecting a history. It's something they can have a checklist in front of them and just go right down the list asking their questions. Okay, now the pre-entrustable behavior, the pre-entrustable activity is that that list is always followed with every patient, regardless of the presentation, automatically. Now, getting back to the Myers-Briggs types, in the mind of the sensing type, that's a complete history. They did it right. Their whole focus in life is, is knowing what they're responsible for and doing it well. So they see there's nothing wrong with that. But let me compare that, and this will probably illustrate better than anything else, what entrustable, um, uh, uh, taking an entrustable history is like. Every patient, because of the way they present, is going to have some aspect of their, pre, of their history, the present illness or something in their background that catches attention that's unique. And that is the anticipatory thinking of the entrustable student that leads to a focused history. So if you are watching the student and you see them bypass, <clears throat> bypass significant lab findings or um, something in the past history and not follow it, then you know they're not there yet. They're not entrustable. You cannot leave them alone because they do not pick up on the need for a focused history. Now, I don't want to beat that to death, but <clears throat> a focused history is not that big a, a mystery to people. We do that all the time at parties. When we're listening to people talking about things they're doing, we'll pick up on asking them a question about it and carry on a line of conversation. It's just that simple with a patient, except the line of communication is aimed at collecting data, data that's relevant to developing a differential, but it's either there or it's not. So this is pass or not yet. Okay, I'll stop with that. No, all, all, is, all is good with everything that you're, that you're saying. Um, I, I guess my, my next big question would be then, do we need to work more on our pre-clerkship evaluations and assessments, our clerkship evaluations and assessments? Because a lot of what I'm seeing at, at many different medical schools who haven't been able to or, or figured out how to incorporate these 13 uh, EPAs into their curriculum and into their assessments is that our evaluation skills are still on a liker, you know, one to seven, how are they doing? Uh, they're, they're pretty good. So they're, you know, they're yeah. a six or five yeah, or, or whatnot. And, 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 and then they come into yeah. residency, they come yeah. into residency and they're, they're blown away because now it's based on EPAs and milestones and competencies. You know, it's even more than that. Emotionally, they're demoralized. Uh, if, if, if they're not ready and they can see that, um, it, it, you know, that's one of the most traumatic times in medical education. And that is you've assumed full responsibility for a patient. And if you feel you're not ready, um, that's devastating. And students have to deal with that emotionally along with their learning. So let's go back to what you originally were getting at about how do clerkships handle this. Now, in the immediate um, future, where, where before uh, we can make any progress on this, um, that they, they uh, at least need to call attention as the, the training is occurring, uh, for example, uh, I, I think one of the things that's been kind of wiped out now is attending rounds. But if any clerkships have maintained some aspect of attending rounds where they've got some discussion going, they, the, the clerkship director um, or the, the, the attending and in charge at the moment can, <clears throat> in directing their questions, um, make the students aware 
if they are not entrustable, in other words, if they are not anticipating, if they are not integrating well enough. Now, usually the attendings probe well enough that they get at this, but they can not, um, how should I say, they can avoid uh, the, and I don't want to use the word uh, humiliation, but it is a humiliation to a student who has asked a question that they can't answer, that they can't perform, but they need to make them aware that there's another step you need to take. If, if, if it happens to be the history that I gave example of, uh, the attending can say, I noticed you didn't pick up on such and such. Um, if you were to ask another question about the lump in the neck, what would that question be? So the, the idea then is prompting can guide the student along. The students are smart enough to pick up on this right away. And one of the beautiful things I want to encourage, there's so many aspects of learning going on here in groups. I want the attendings out there to realize that when the sensing students who are robotic hear the other integrative thinking, they will pick up on that. I have observed this, this over a 10 year period with small groups that I've been uh, mentoring uh, for step one preparation and uh, developing this kind of thinking. And this, this definitely shows progress. You will see it within a clerkship uh, beginning to end. You will see these students get faster and better uh, at this, but they need to be prompted. They don't automatically walk in with that instinct. So. Um, now, I still haven't gotten to my main theme, and that is that's the emergency use. That's the emergency room for medical education, doing it in the clerkship. I think it can be done in the introduction to phys the physical exam, the introduction to the clinical process. And we are, I'm involved right now with our um, teacher, uh, the, the director of that program in a project to instill EPA thinking in the second year. I want the students walking in to the clerkships thinking entrustably. I want them to all their actions to be driven by their brains, which are now well-developed in terms of anticipation and integration. Okay, I'll just stop with that there. Oh, I, I, I was writing down what you said, like waiting until clerkship to introduce EPAs is the emergency room of medical education. That, like that, like that, that is, no, it, it, that, sure. that highlights everything here that we're talking about because well, I, I, and no. I don't think it's ever too soon to introduce EPAs <laughs> to medical students. This is no different than what the residencies are coping with. Um, they, they're, you know, I don't know if there's a uniform way of doing this. I know of the directors that I've talked to, the program directors, they're pulling residents off the service for the first week or two, uh, trying to help these uh, incoming um, PGY1s uh, get ad ad adapted up to level where they can trust them. Now, you know, the significance, you see, they're pulling, that's, uh, this is a, a clinical service that's actually a um, revenue center. So they're pulling, they're re reducing their patient load in order to train students that should know how to do this on graduation. So a program director that's in charge of a clinical service is taking all of this really seriously. Uh, they don't want to have to distract uh, their residents from their ordinary duties or their everyday duties to train the incoming student. So that's why I call it like the emergency room of medical education, that, that they're treating things that should have been prevented uh, to begin with, dealt with um, long ago. And what I know from my own experience, if we do this well, if we can install this in the, and I believe we can install it in the first year, actually, in a graded way, and I've, I've done this a little bit with some small groups, if we can get this in the minds of the students early, it will help them on their exams in basic sciences before they even see a standardized patient. So then what do you, so what do you, so what do you yeah. recommend to the faculty to revamp 
Um, what, what do I write? Do uh, okay. I would, um, I have an entire page at my website set up uh, for to, to describe EPA thinking. Everything, I, I realize that faculty are busy. And, and so uh, it, it's not that simple to say, oh, go learn this. But, but when you think about it, a lot of faculty will take time off to attend a workshop or uh, or a CME uh, um, uh, experience, which of course this is too, but, but they need to learn. I've got an entire course laid out with the dialogue and suggested dialogue all mapped out to illustrate to the students that they're teaching, whether it's a resident student or a clerkship student, how the thinking compares. The goal, and it's well specified on the website, the goal is to teach awareness of the thinking. Once that is done, the students will take over. The students will develop their own thinking. That's the really encouraging part of this. And so they just need to know the difference. And the tragedy of it is that nowhere from beginning to end do we seem to ever stop and tell them that. And frankly, if I hadn't been academic affairs dean for that brief time, I wouldn't have stopped either. It, it's just that I've looked at this because it created a problem for me to watch students' careers tanking and their lives breaking apart. And so I'm giving you a little bit of my own personal motivation. But so if faculty are motivated and have the time, it's all mapped out for them at the, my website. And I, 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 I have the offer at the website to work with anybody that wants to as a consultant. I don't need to you know, be on a paper they're publishing. I just am happy to get it out there and help guide uh, the, the implementation. So I, I, have I gotten at what you were asking? You, you, you have, um, and, and you know what, without, Without an entire the entire curriculum um, ad adopting things, you know, sometimes you have some trailblazer faculty that are are ready to take on, you know, a movement. Yeah. And and to me, EPA is more than a movement. It's really where medical education um, needs to go, and and frankly, that's where it's heading between the AAMC and AMA all adopting this and having these thirteen EPAs for a graduating medical yeah. student, which should be expected coming into residency. I don't think we're going to get away from EPAs. I think the big challenge that you know I've sat in on on discussions with the AMA Change Med Ed um, consortium. Yes. That just how do we get here and who's done it? There there's little known, and so. Yeah, you you brought up, if I can uh, interject here, a, a key um, concept, and that is the curriculum. Uh, I think if there's an impediment to any kind of innovation like this, it's the idea that you have to change the curriculum to do it. And I would like to emphasize that not only the EPA thinking program, but my expert skills program, which is a prelude to that, which is something I try to apply to incoming students, even before they register for their first year in a pre-matriculation program, all of it is, act, is implemented in addition to the, uh, outside the curriculum. It, it, more importantly, it uses the curriculum. It, it, it's not instead of, it's a matter of, Here's how EPA thinking applies to what you are learning now. You can learn better in microbiology if you're using EPA thinking. You can learn better in pathology and so forth. So it's because there's a big barrier there for a lot of administrators. And I remember, I remember how disruptive it can be when anybody suggests changing the curriculum. Oh, no, we just got it where we want it, you know, and so forth. So all of this, rest assured, does nothing more than strengthen the curriculum. Oh, most definitely. I just feel like we're building this bridge between UME and GME, which totally should be built. Yeah. Um, and frankly, you know, we should have been looking at this well before now, but 
bridging that continuum of education because it's not one education ends and the next begins. It's literally the continuum of medical education from UME to GME. And and now UME has come out and said, you know, every graduating medical student, here's your year 13 EPAs that you should be entrustable to do. GME should be able to pick up that that block and say, okay, you should be able to do this. But there's still a gap. We're still missing something because not every medical school in the nation or even our international uh, medical school colleagues are teaching that in in trustable activities aren't, the the graduates aren't 100% prepared yet. We're getting there, but they're not yet. And so now the GME, so now we're going to flip to GME real quick. Um, the, the GME faculty and program directors are saying, okay, well, now what do I do? I have this brand new PGY1 resident that did not come from a medical school that used entrustable evaluations. What do I do? Yeah. How do I assess if they're coming in? And, and guess, guess what skills they bring into medical school, memorization. Now, again, I am painting with a broad brush that this is not all medical students and many of us get to know students very well who are inquisitive and they come to our office to ask uh, more, you know, uh, extended questions. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the students who will get left behind. The students who through no fault of their own, were never taught about themselves. We need to take care of the least of these. We need to take care of everybody. It's just like patient care. And so we need to be aware that once you help a student understand themselves and that, that, is, that they are okay, not just reassurance, but why they are okay. That's all. Oh, the other, uh, it brings me to another recommendation. And I do apologize to the audience that I'm referencing my own work. Um, I just don't know of any other work that gets at it the way I do. So I apologize if it looks self-centered. But I do have a free downloadable book at my website. I call it Success Types in Medical Education. But the first six chapters, which are conceptual and, and, and explain learning style um, and how the two are different. Now, my book doesn't describe entrustability, but it's the basis for entrustability. You'll see the, the comparison uh, directly as you read it. So you can refer your students to this. Um, you can even discuss it in a quick one-hour small group. Uh, going around the room, how do each of you assess your own learning? Uh, what do you think your weak points are? I have done this very successfully in small groups, and I can tell you students get into it uh, very enthusiastically. They're not as protective as you think they would be. Uh, they're interested in how other students compare with them. So I, I'm being encouraging here that I'm sharing with you discoveries I've made that have been, uh, that have kept me going way past retirement. Uh, It's just too much fun working with students like this and getting results when most of our education, as Deb has been indicating, is uh, uh, fraught with barriers. So, uh, Deb, if I could extend one comment more uh, that I forgot to get to earlier on the Myers-Briggs. Well, this I bring it out, uh, and I realize it's kind of a side path, but it's always a barrier for a large, well, I don't know how large, but a significant part of many audiences um, have heard from an expert of some sort that the Myers-Briggs isn't valid. And uh, you can go you know, into this as much as uh, you want in terms of the, 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 the source of that, but I'd like to explain to the audience that we have now that the Myers-Briggs is very often misunderstood as a trait. And when you consider Myers-Briggs, the Jungian types, as a trait, 
you are correct in saying it isn't valid. It would be a terrible measure of measuring sensing and intuition as a trait. It was never designed for that. The entire theory is really useless if you have to call it a trait. So where I'm going is this. Think of Myers-Briggs as a sorting tool. It's called a type indicator rather than a trait indicator because it only sorts into one or the other. The score is misinterpreted as a trait because traits are measured from zero to 100. You can have a little or a lot of a trait, like motivation is a trait, okay? And you can go on into this. Some traits are uh, pathological and so forth. Myers-Briggs is only normal behavior, and it's either one or the other that is preferred. And so the way I like to teach it is like handedness. You may use, if you're right-handed as the dominant uh, or vast majority are, but if you're right-handed and you sign your, pay your signature or throw a ball with your right hand, that doesn't mean your left hand is worthless and that you could cut it off. You use both hands all day, but you have one you preferred. You're thinking, and this is what is important for students to know. I'm not just trying to help you as teachers. I'm help, trying to help you convey to students that <clears throat> all day long, we adapt our behavior to the circumstances. For myself right now, if I'm speaking to you or on audio, or if I'm in front of, of 500 people in a conference, I speak the same way. But I'm an introvert. So I'm pretending, I'm copycatting the extroverts. It doesn't change my preference to do extroverted behavior. And that's the difference. Myers-Briggs shows us not what we're limited to. It shows us what makes us tired. And let me tell you, folks, if you think that's not that important, just let yourself get tired. And I, if I want to know your true type, I just need to see you when you're exhausted. And I'll know just what you are. I'll know whether you're an extrovert. I'll know whether, whether you're a sensing type because you will revert into that mode because it takes less energy. So there are great insights. These come out in my book, but I wanna, I'm trying to reassure you. There's uh, the people that are trying to um, uh, discredit the Myers-Briggs are just in error. It's like the vaccination controversy. The people that are anti-vaccine uh, have firm beliefs in misunderstanding. And so I, I don't mean complicated with that here, but, but Myers-Briggs needs to be understood as not a trait. And then you now have an, a tool that allows people to see what they avoid, what they're uncomfortable doing. And every single one of you listening to me know that that's going to be true of you. Uh, school, a study done at Purdue, and I don't mean to belabor this too much, but, but this is relevant to all the discussion we're talking now. At the Purdue Engineering School, uh, a faculty member uh, matched the personality type of the teacher with the students and found that in every case, uh, the, the, the survey of the students was, if they were sensing type students, they preferred sensing type instructors and did better on their exams. And the same was true of intuitive types. They also did better on the intuitive type instructors exams and preferred them as teachers. So, <clears throat> this shows the impact of having a deeper understanding. Any one of us can adapt our behavior to what is needed. And so now I'll end with this point. You don't have to do that if you're in jet engine repair school, because the manuals spell everything out and the engines always act the same way every time when you repair them. But people are complex systems. And in professional school, you can't be sensing or intuitive. 
If you're sensing, you need intuitive skills and vice versa. And so I'll end my digression with that and hopefully encourage you to look deeper into the personality type idea. Okay, no, Jeff, that, 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 that was very helpful. And, and, I, and I do have to say um, that I have greatly enjoyed the work um, that MSUCOM has been doing on EPAs over the last two years since I've been in my current role as Director of Faculty Development. Um, between being part of the AMA uh, Change Med Ed Consortium, uh, having Kim Lomas join us last year, finding, John, your resources and, yeah. you know, emailing with you and, and, ha and having you here today. Um, and, and as you said, ch changing curriculum is, is omens work. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, it, do it doesn't even happen over a couple nights. It takes... It takes a, a lot of time and effort, and it's a slower process. Um, but the the faculty yeah. that I see integrating in, in Trustman and, and, and EPAs, these 13 core EPAs, into their courses and that have come back and, and talked with me about um, the successes they've had, as well as, you know, some of the barriers and, and working through that has just been an immense pleasure seeing the the success of the students, the success of the faculty integrating the, this work into, into their teaching. And so, yeah. um, you know, I know that those students and, and those faculty and the faculty getting um, entrusted uh, students into GME programs ha have seen that, that, that immense change um, from years past until now. Cool. Let me build on that. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I hear you uh, 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 in terms of curriculum. I've had, um, at this point, ex direct experience, not just with what the different curricula are, but performing in them. Team-based learning, case-based learning, PBL. I've pretty much done it all. And so, and the traditional, which is the way I really started. And so, after learning how students learn, the science, the brain behavior, uh, even the sleep science where consolidation takes place, learning the deep evidence-based understanding of how people learn, I can tell you this, the magic is not in the curriculum. The magic is in the student. And if you can create entrustable students by guiding them, You've heard about the sage on the stage versus the guide on the side. Oh, that's, yes. Okay, that's that's much more powerful a state, a, an observation than you can imagine. Being a guide on the side is not only the most important teaching, it's the most fun. But you have to be, I can't tell you how many times, even when I teach team-based learning and you're standing up in front of all those students and they're showing all their answers to all the questions, I tell faculty time and time, bite your tongue, do not start teaching them. Let them talk because we walk in wanting to tell things. That's our instinct. That's why we are teachers. You can hear it in me here. I go all over the place trying to help people understand every facet of what's important in this topic. The same is true in teaching uh, metabolic pathways that I teach. So getting past that need to tell until it's time. Now, there will be, there is a time but you first get the students to talk. You get them to talk and then you react to that. You can take any curriculum and the entrustable students are going to master it no matter what. The sensing type, the pre-entrustable mode of thinking is gonna struggle in any curriculum. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Oh no, de definitely. I I I agree on that, and and that's a whole other topic for a whole other day, um, because that's other feedback that I get from faculty that they're like, you know, how do I, 
Yeah. How do I facilitate rather than teach? You know, now right. they're going to start asking me questions. Right. What if I don't have the answers to their questions because I'm not teaching them and they're trying to figure it out themselves? And I'm like, that's the glory of it. Well, it, <laughs> they're, they're clinically uh, thinking. They're critically yeah. thinking. They're using they're using this process of becoming entrustable. I have a e easy advice on that. It's <clears throat> advice I finally. Uh, see, I fought with my, myself over this, so I know what I'm warning against. And the advice that I finally gave myself is to uh, keep it simple with a very simple recording in your head. Tell me about your thinking. And you see, what's happening when they're talking is you're thinking of the next question. While they're answering Based on what they say, you're, it's the next question. I've just described to you a patient interview. You see, this isn't just, the students are our counterpart of patients. And, and the way we have dialogue with them can lead them to understanding where they need to go, what they need to learn, and they will learn it themselves rather than us telling them. Uh, and I, I've got to work in, eventually we have to do a micro lecture. Eventually we do have to clarify. Uh, it, this again, is not an all or none thing, but at least we're doing the micro lecture when it's in a context. At least we're doing that when it's answering a specific question instead of going back over a broad concept that we don't know what people understand about it. Right. Because we, we do have to understand that there, there is a role for, yeah. for lecturing when it's, you know, giving the foundation, yes. the yeah. terms, the, right. the concepts, it's yeah. the application piece that we need to take ourselves off the stage and, and let them work through it. But now we've totally digressed away from EPAs, but uh, we are at the close of our time together. And John, again, thank you so much. Okay. I, yes. I, I, have, I have combed through uh, the website there at Texas Tech University Health Science Center on the okay, thinking, becoming entrustable. There are so many resources on um, uh, entrustment and EPA thinking that John has graciously uh, provided as open access. I know when I reached out to him about a year ago and said, how can I use these? And you said, you know, the greatest form of uh, nope. um, appreciation uh, to your work is, is sharing it with others. And, uh, and here you are continuing to, to share um, your knowledge and, and abilities with, with EPA uh, thinking. And so thank you again so much for being here. I welcome any communication from people who are listening that want to go deeper. Um, I'm always happy to, to reply. So it's been fun. All right. Thanks so much. You bet.